Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today, I'm speaking to Ivan Cooper, who is the brand new CEO of The Wheel, about his leadership journey, and want to talk to him about his vision for The Wheel in supporting the community and voluntary sector here in Ireland. So, Ivan, just you, you might introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your career journey to date. Yeah, thanks, Tierbert. So my name is Ivan Cooper, and I'm the recently appointed CEO of The Wheel. And in terms of my career journey, I suppose I'd say I've always been interested in society and the way things could be if we really want them to be that way as people. Uh, and if we work hard to make them that way. So I wanted my work to be about something more than just making a living or making money. Making my efforts, I suppose, to be for the common good was always important for me, even when I was a young fella. And even if early on I wouldn't have been able to express it that way, uh, I knew I wanted to make a positive difference in the world and to kind of have left it. It's a cliche, I suppose, a better place for my being in is when I'm gone. So that was very much where I was coming from. I started out studying in UCD, did a degree in psychology, and that's about kind of how the mind works and what it is to be a person. But it's also about what it is to be a member of social groups. There's a big social aspect. Social psychology is a whole kind of field in itself. And then I also studied philosophy, which is all about human knowledge and wisdom. Philosophy is called the love of wisdom. And moral philosophy in particular interested me, how to do the right thing and why we should choose that. So I was always fascinated by that question. And it still lives with me. And I think it's very much underpinning my reason for being and working in the community and voluntary sector. So I was always fascinated by that question. You know, why should we choose to do the right thing? And I think for me, it's why rights are so important. Because there are people, you know, who say, oh, look, it's just Darwinian competition in the world out there. And, you know, intrinsically, there's no meaning to life. Well, I, I don't believe that. For me, very much life is what you make it. And more importantly, what we make of it for and with each other. Uh, so life's full of meaning for me. And it's important that all people have the opportunity to develop into the people each of us have the potential to become. And we're very privileged, Dermot. but we've had that opportunity. But it can't be taken for granted that everybody has that opportunity because very many people don't. And I think it's our job in society and through our economy to enable that for all people. And that's a really important reason why I work in the community and voluntary sector. And it's not idealistic, I don't think, to think that. You know, we can ensure this for each other. If we as a people and a society set our minds to that and work to that, it's just a question of what we set as priorities for society. So I suppose bringing this little intro piece to a conclusion in terms of my career, I left Ireland with my now wife Orla, my partner back then in the early 1990s, when things were very different and difficult here in Ireland, Dermot and you'll remember that, and I started to work in the voluntary sector in Scotland in fact. Uh, working for what is called a council for voluntary service at local level. Each county in Scotland, or shire as they're called over there, has one of these. It's like a small version of the wheel, in fact, providing support and information and advice and networking and representation for local uh, charities, in in my case in the county of Angus in Scotland. So the organisation was called Angus Association of Voluntary Organisations. So my very first job was working in the community and voluntary sector. 
Uh, and then I moved and coordinated the European funding of a significant college called Dundee College of Further Education. So that brought me into this whole world of European funding and how important European funding is for charities and community and voluntary organisations. And then I came back to Ireland in 1998, it seems like eons ago now, uh, and the Irish economy was just kicking off and it was the boom period before you know things were getting boomier and boomier, as Bertie Ahern said it was back then. And I worked in the Irish community and voluntary sector in a local development company called Wicklow Working Together, uh, which was, and still is, you know, operating out of Wicklow, which is where I now live. I live in Greystones with Orla, my wife. And I also worked with Wicklow Chamber of Commerce, which gave me a really good insight into the way the business world works in Ireland. I did that for three years. So I had an interesting combination then developing. And finally, before I worked with The Wheel... I started with the wheel in 2005. I worked with the Crisis Pregnancy Agency for three years, and that gave me an insight into how the public service and the public sector and government departments function. So I have this interesting, diverse career in the public, private, and community and voluntary sectors, which has been of great benefit to me in preparing me for the work with the wheel. Absolutely, and then we find out from a lot of our guests is that journey is a probably unplanned journey, but has allowed people to collect insights, knowledge, experiences, and networks along, which prove helpful in a later part of their career. But you are now, as you said, the CEO of the Wheel. Um, for those who may not be familiar with the Wheel, maybe just and I know most people here listen probably are, but just for what does the Wheel do? Yeah, well, the Wheel is a network of Irish community and voluntary organisations. A lot of people are often surprised at the scale of the community and voluntary sector in Ireland. You know, many of your listeners will know, but not all will know. You know there's around 12,000 charities in Ireland, for example. There's, you know, upwards of 80,000 people who sit on the boards of all of these organisations doing work as trustees and board members and volunteer directors, all of it unpaid. Uh, and then the estimates are there's around 180,000 people working for these organisations in Ireland with the turnover around a 14 billion euro a year. So, you know, these numbers are kind of staggering. And in the Irish case, then, they're very much involved, many of them, in delivering what we call hybrid public services. So many of these organisations are, in fact, delivering core and essential services, supporting people with disabilities or older people or younger people to live independent lives and all of that. And what the wheel is, well... Until 25 years ago, there was no place where all of the people who were associated with these organisations facing challenges that are different from those faced by private firms, because there's a big accountability piece, charities have to be very transparent and we know this, there was no place for those organisations to come together to learn from each other and to gain a bit of security from, from working together around the same kinds of challenges like the inadequacy of funding or the demands made by all of the compliance stuff that we very importantly have to do as charities now. So the wheel was set up uh, to kind of provide that kind of place for people in the sector to come together and, and gain, I suppose, support from each other. Um, so what do we do? Well, uh, we very much provide advice and guidance information for people who are working or volunteer for the sector. We provide lots of networking opportunities for members of, in all kinds of different configurations to come together and talk to one another about their shared experiences. We provide representational work then for those members when we do bring them together. Uh, we have hundreds of members, for example, inside the wheel that are funded by the HSE. So we'll bring all of them together to talk about the issues of the day from their point of view. And then what we can 
can do because we have standing and we're recognised and respected by you know, government departments and agencies, uh, we'll often be invited to take part in processes that they might be looking uh, in terms of, of reshaping services or addressing challenges. And we can bring the voice of our members into those places and spaces uh, and hopefully shape policies that are more sensitive to the requirements of the voluntary sector. Then we also have one other important role, that's raising awareness amongst the public and policymakers about the extent of all of that stuff that I've been talking about. Uh, and that's something I think we're making inroads with. It's a slow kind of a process. Officials change from one job to another quite quickly. You know, you might only have an official who's in a job for a couple of years. And just when you finally feel, wow, they actually get things, guess what? They're moving to another job and you're back to square one with a new official coming in. So there's a piece of that. And it's the same, of course, with ministers and junior ministers. Um, so we do all of that. Um, and then I suppose summing, summing it all up, in that way, we're very much a support and representational organisation for the community and voluntary sector. If you think about many members might have heard of IBEC, the Irish Business and Employers Confederation, you know, what they do for business. Maybe, maybe it's something like that, what we do for charities, but it's not strictly speaking like that because charities, of course, are all about public benefit. They're not about themselves as organisations. They're a means to an end. So uh, once understood that way very much, uh, what we do is help our members to do their work better. That's, I suppose, the, the way of summarising yeah, And I know your, your, your figures give the sense of the huge scale of the sector. Um, 12,000 charities up to 30,000 non-profits. And there were big numbers there, but as I like reminding people, the vast majority of them are very, very small organisations, you know, 80% less than a turnover of 500. So there would be micro-enterprises if you're looking at it in the language of... So I think having that placed for a collective voice is very, very important for the sector. One, to understand that a lot of the issues are common, but be able to have someone that can be able to articulate that for the sector to be the voice is a critical role. Also, I've, I've seen the wheel grow and expand, particularly in recent years. You know, it's what, about 24 years old. I remember you're 20, which is, you know, I was checking the figures and I said, well, now up to 24 years, because time flies. What has been the main shifts and focuses as you've grown and as you've developed your own expertise and skill sets? What has been the main shift to focus or expansion, rather, maybe, of the wheel's work? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And it did start out very much as a mutual support network for chairs and board members. And when I started, we had like... Uh, four or five staff members, you know, which, which by the standards of the very small organisations that predominate in the community and voluntary sector, even back then, would have been regarded as a big organisation. So, you know, the wheel has now morphed into a full service organisation, I would describe it, and we've over 30 staff, so it's a very significant organisation in relation to you know, typically small uh, community and voluntary organisations. Now, it's not massive, you know, there's many charities, of course, that have hundreds of staff. Uh, but nonetheless, it's significant, and we have over 2,300 member organisations now. So in that way, you know, we have a lot of responsibility, and it's big. So there are extensive networks inside the wheel. Clearly, if you have 2,300 member organisations, they're not all the same. There's going to be huge uh, variety in there. So many organisations in the CV sector I indicated earlier, Dermot, are centrally involved in delivering kind of our hybrid approach to public services in Ireland, and they're part-funded by statutory departments like the Department of Health or the HSE or the Department of Children and Thusla. So we've hundreds, I've mentioned, of HSE-funded members in the wheel and hundreds more Thusla-funded members. And indeed, you know, from your own uh, perspective in the Carmichael Centre here, we've also got hundreds of members funded under the Community Services Programme, a big programme, €45 million programme run by the Department of Rural and Community Development, 1,500 organisations, or 500, I think, organisations nationally supported under it. Uh, So it's a big programme. 
And then loads more funded on, under or benefiting from community employment schemes. So it's a very diverse sector. And we do a lot of representational work now with these networks of members, plugging them into those national governmental processes I mentioned, like the Department of Health. Kind of, they have a special dialogue forum for engaging with community and voluntary organisations. And we're members of that and bring our voices, uh, our members' voices into that. So we also then take part more, like going back 25 years ago, we weren't in this, but we are now. We take part in formal economic and social dialogue processes. The government has a national economic dialogue every year, for example, and we get to take part in that, uh, along with the trades unions and the farmers and the, you know, the employer groups. Uh, so we're in there. And we also do a lot more now of publishing and conducting original research. And we've done some of it, of course, with yourselves and Carmichael uh, in relation to, you know, trying to shape public policy. So we've done reports with Indicon on the developmental needs of the community and voluntary sector and the importance of investing in training and development. We've done other reports with yourself and Carmichael on literally the governance requirements for charities and what boards need. Uh, and of course, we do regular member surveys too. So Coming back to your question, how have things changed? You know, more evidence-based policymaking and research work to inform our positions uh, that we take in the representational work. More networking, formal networking of our members to bring their voices and put those voices around the, the, the nation's policymaking table. Really important. And we're able to facilitate that. Uh, and then, of course, we do, along again, much of it in partnership with yourself and the Carmichael, a very significant training program on everything from governance uh, to funding to data protection to human resource management. Uh, and we fund many networks through our Training Links program where networks of voluntary organisations can come together and we'll provide them with the resources to provide for their own training needs. So it's really all very exciting. We have a, a major program to provide information on all available funding sources that are known to man, basically, as they relate to the community and voluntary sector in Ireland. We have a special programme called Funding Point that's available to our members to sign up for, and we employ a dedicated member of staff to manage that. Uh, and we always have a, a big focus, of course, on supporting leadership in the sector. Leadership development is big. If you think about what community and voluntary organisations do, many of them are actually in a central core way involved in providing leadership in and with their communities where they're anchored in so there's a big leadership emphasis in relation to what we're doing in the wheel to try and support leaders within the wheel and leaders in the sector and we call that the leadership academy uh, and my colleague Sharon Hughes in fact who's taken part in one of the podcasts here with you Dermot uh, very much leads effectively on that and we've lots of European projects and services too where we bring our members into contact with their peers in, in European countries and kind of connect Irish civil society into European level thinking. So I hope I've given you a flavour there of the many dimensions and ways now that the wheel is developing. And clearly the CEO's job is just to support that. No CEO could be leading across all of those places. And very much that that's what we're trying to do in the wheel, develop leaders inside our organisation with the CEO's job being really just to support and nourish and underpin all of that and provide maybe a little bit of occasional wise guidance if that's helpful along the way. Very, very, very comprehensive, and it just gives you the sort of the, the diversity of need that you have to address to be able to best serve your members. You mentioned that you, you're in the wheel since the 2000s, so it's about the last 20 years there has been some major changes in the environment. That, that landscape has changed considerably. For you, what are the big standout sort of changes that has changed the whole dynamic of how the business of community and voluntary sector operates? 
when I think back to that time 25 years ago when I came back from Scotland to start to work in the sector, it has literally a transformed landscape since then. I mean, people forget way back then in 1998, even from the perspective of private companies that were supposed to be you know, filing returns with companies' registration office, most of that stuff was entirely, essentially in abeyance. You know? So there was literally no attention being paid to proper corporate governance at all. It's entirely transformed. So you've asked, you know, what are the big changes in the last 20 years? The introduction of regulation clearly was a game changer. Uh, very positive for the reputation of the sector and setting standards and ensuring transparency, all good. But post- major challenges as well now you know the sector had developed its own governance code which in fairness we took the lead before the kind of charity regulator came in and we developed our own governance code for ourselves as a sector prior to the establishment of the regulator so that was a big development and a sign of a maturing sector but there is this question and it comes up and I'll probably bring it back up in, in, in you know as, as the conversation goes on because it is a big theme about equipping voluntary organizations to respond to the demands made now right demands the correct demands uh, by the level of compliance requirements that are out there. So governance challenges and the early scandals, if we remember back 10, 15 years ago, the charity sector did go through a period of difficulty, I think, in relation to public perceptions of it. There was some poor governance practice, there's no denying that. I, I think what happened was that there was an end of the sector being assumed to be good, you know, where we were just able to rely on, on goodwill generally. And now we know that we have to show our worth and charities have to show that. And we can't assume everyone thinks we're great. You know, the governance code and the compliance tightening, there's a serious workload now associated with that. And I've mentioned that and there's a resourcing question around some of that. So, I mean, there are two big, dramatic changes in the last 20 years. There's also a general, I think it would be fair to say, some might call it a professionalisation of the sector that's taking place, uh, with the sector paying more attention to its its governance and transparency requirements and its financial management requirements, and also working more closely with government departments and agencies in partnership arrangements, more formalising of service arrangements and contracts that have occurred uh, in relation to funded organisations that maybe get half or two-thirds or three-quarters of their funding from the state. That would have typically been offered on a fairly informal kind of a grant basis if you go back 20, 25 years. Now it's a much more detailed kind of a contract approach and organisations need to be very aware of the technical kind of requirements in there and make sure. So you can see a higher level of need and awareness of the requirement for organisations to be professionally advised and to have all of their kind of operations very clear and, and meeting all of their requirements. And that in turn creates a level of a requirement on boards themselves to have available to them on the board people who are able to interpret financial accounts who can understand the technical aspects of contracts and health and safety legislation and human resource law and all of that sort of stuff and that of course has led to a that that's one aspect of what might be understood to be professionalization for boards recruiting the right people onto the boards who can help and then striking a balance steermit between maintaining the passion on the board for the cause and the knowledge of the mission as to why an organization is actually there and getting that balance right then with having professional experience available too a couple of other things i think are significant in the last 20 years we've also seen i think a huge development in the sector's own infrastructure for itself So we now have the wheel. We have organisations like Carmichael. We have organisations like Board Match and Volunteer Ireland and other organisations that provide what we might call infrastructure 
where board members or staff members can ring up and confidently talk to somebody in confidence about what they might need to do, whereas in a way they wouldn't feel at all confident about picking up a phone to a regulator and bringing attention to a problem they might be having. That infrastructure that the sector has for itself, I think, that has developed in in a major way in the last 25 years. There was none of that when I started my, my work in the Irish context. And then finally, the inclusion of the sector in national policy making. Uh, I think has been a big change through structures like the community and voluntary pillar. 25 years ago, again, that didn't exist. There was no place for voices in the community and voluntary sector to go to sit around a table in equal partnership with the government in terms of developing national policy. And that's there now. Albeit, it's, it's, you know, it needs a lot of work. It's far from perfect. But at least we have some standing as a sector uh, with government in relation to shaping national policy. Uh, and I think that's very important. You touched on a lot of things there, Ivan, and I think come back to one of your earlier comments about your training in philosophy and doing the right thing. I, I was recently doing a number of governance sessions around the country and mainly with small groups, and that really clear commitment to do the right thing, but also the concern about not being up to date or being aware of things that are happening because it is quite complex. We, we would say the regulation of the sector has been a very positive, transformative thing, but it comes at a cost, and it comes with a cost of people need to be on top of things. We also would say there's a whole raft of other legislation that has come through in addition to, say, the Governance Code. A big issue for a lot of ones would be safeguarding and understanding that the practical things of getting volunteers vetted, that takes time. Somebody has to organise it, somebody has to do it, people have to be trained. So it is that big deficit there that I think is out there and we, we bought on that agenda, but there is a great need to develop the skill set, the experience, but also the supports available to the sector because it is complex and we've seen in recent times with the Public Accounts Committee looking at governance in one of the state bodies seeing how complex it is but also when things are not done properly how bad things can get very 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 quickly but knowing ill intent it just can be that people not being aware of their duties and their responsibilities for openness transparency and accountability which is the catchword for our sector so it is a, as you say there's been a lot of change in the sector most of it has been positive but as you've mentioned there is that gap beginning to emerge about the capacity to be able to do to get those people to come onto those boards with those skill sets those experiences yeah. to help harness that passion and do it the good do it the right thing in the right way is that additional challenge so no, some a lot a lot happening there in, in your own experiences um have there, you know, and, and, and it's probably a tough question to ask because there's so many good examples of fantastic work out there. But I'd just ask you if, if you could pick out maybe one or two examples of the types of work that people may not be familiar with, but this is what's happening in our societies day in, day out. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And the work, as you've indicated, you know, there are literally thousands of organisations, Dermot, out there from those supporting people to live independent lives and children and young people's groups that I mentioned and organisations supporting older people and homeless people, socially excluded people, marginalised people, people living with addiction. It's all there in the membership of the wheel. And you kind of stand in awe at the extent to which it reflects on the really positive aspect of the Irish. I think impetus to help each other. There is this really strong sense of community. I thought about it. Maybe it's the good and upside of the very dark experience we had with the church domination going back centuries in Ireland. Maybe it's the upside of that, you know, that strong sense of, I think we need to reflect and 
and think about that and, 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 and the precious asset we have in that. It isn't a cliche. We're recognised around the world for it, Irish people, a strong sense of community. And I think the jewel and gem that our community and voluntary sector is in that, uh, expressing this Irish just impetus to, to always look out for one another and help each other out. So it, it part, partly perhaps part of our post-colonial story as well. So, you know, but they're very much that those attributes are there. And amongst all of that, I mean, you know, how do, how do you separate out or identify something that's particular? Um, I have a special regard for groups like, the, for example, the Vincentian Partnership for Social Justice. It's now merged into the Society for St. Vincent de Paul, or SVP, who work to quantify the minimum essential standard of living that everybody, all of us, uh, should expect to have. What's needed for all people to live a life with dignity and to an acceptable standard. And they do that year in and year out. It's you know behind-the-scenes work. It's not out front. It's not drawing attention to itself, but it is having a big impact advising and shaping and you know inputting into the the, the, the way Irish public policy is formed and making it clear uh, about the choices that our society can make uh, if we want to ensure people have the minimum income and access to services needed to live with dignity so that's the kind of unheralded you know uh, behind the scenes work uh, that if it weren't for the community and voluntary sector and the committed people in it just wouldn't be being done uh, and I, I, I think it's just opportune to draw attention to that yeah. we mentioned the wheel is 24 years you're CEO number two so it is sort of a, a it is a change a, ma- a major changing of the guard and you've been in the organization for a number of years so, so something is not a brand new sort of thing for you what sort of sense will there be a change in approach or vision or, or what would you like to achieve under your stewardship of the organization yeah good question um and I suppose I, what I would draw attention to would be that notion of continuity. Uh, the Wheel is a, you know, a, a long-established organisation, and we have a really clear strategy that's well worked out and recently developed uh, and consulted with our members. Uh, and we have a fantastic staff team that I've mentioned that are really good at what they do. Uh, so I'd like to support all of this to become even more effective uh, by placing the emphasis from my perspective. I think this is one of the things I can do. It's kind of spotlight areas where I think we can do more, perhaps. Uh, and certainly for me, I've mentioned earlier on producing more research to shape national policy in areas like the supports that volunteers and trustees and staff need Uh, and moving, for example, to multi-annual funding. We need to really win the argument around that uh, and, and make sure that if the government moves to commissioning services which they are you know, sending signals that they're going in that direction through tendering, for example, that, that if they do that, that we have the evidence and the research to show why the CV sector should be the first port of call if they're looking to award contracts or a tender for services uh, rather than the private sector, for example, and show the value of the non-profit approach. So more research to back up the claims we make, I think, about the community and voluntary sector and why it's so good at what it does. I think a lot of the claims we make are in the realm of the anecdotal and we need to kind of shift to try and find ways of capturing the innovation that's in the services the responsiveness the inclusion you know all of the flexibility the person-centered nature all of that stuff that i've kind of been indicating that we're really good at in ireland how can we show that that is actually happening and that there is an actual value in that and it is different from the kind of service that you might or the support you might receive uh, from a a company that's doing it uh, motivated primarily by the profit motive for example where is the difference and can we show that and i believe that's a big challenge so more research 
I'd also like to see more collaboration, Dermot, uh, with our colleague representative and support organisations in the sector. So we know that we often hear, oh, there's too much competition amongst charities and there's too many charities and stuff. Well, they're all there for a reason. They're there because people responded to a circumstance uh, and, 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 and they shouldn't be viewed as being a problem, if you see what I mean, to be fixed. But there is, I think, a legitimate case that can be made that certainly if you look at funding structures, for example, many organisations find themselves having to compete for resources. Or if you look at advocacy organisations, maybe they're trying to compete for the ear of the same people, okay? perhaps with the same message. And there is an argument that says, well, that's unhelpful. That, that's actually, all that's doing is compu- confusing things. Uh, and certainly from my point of view, um, I'd be very much interested in working as closely as possible and finding something to collaborate with all of our partners around proactively. And I know we've had a really constructive working relationship with Carmichael over the years, and we'll be looking to, to build on that. And then finally, I suppose, uh, I'd also like to encourage and enable our staff team to become what I'm calling even stronger advocates for the, for the sector and with the sector by supporting them, I, I mentioned it earlier, on their leadership journeys as they tell more stories of our work with our members and engage themselves in places and spaces where policy is made. So, you know, it's about not having policy experts, you know, who are over there who engage with the policymakers. It's more about bringing our staff and members and teams into so they can be the authentic voices themselves of their own lived experience in these policymaking forums. So I'd very much like to to do that. And that requires confidence and skills. It's not easy to go in and talk on behalf of other people. That's a big responsibility. Uh, so I, I'd see my job as being to support the development of that and, and build confidence that we have that ability and confidence in ourselves to, to work with our members to get that crucial message across about supporting the community and boundary sector in Ireland. Pushing yourself forward for the CEO was, was probably a big tr- decision because you know you were director for policy and advocacy for quite a number of years. People would know I, Ivan. What were your own motivations to sort of do? Because it's it's it, it's it's a big public thing to say I'm putting myself forward to be the leader of this organisation, particularly an organisation like the Wheel. Yeah, you're right. You know, and I did. I will admit to having thought long and hard about it, Dermot. It's not something to be undertaken lightly. It is a position of significant responsibility. Uh, I was director of public policy, so I was the voice, uh, perhaps even in some respects the face. But I wasn't the organisation uh, in terms of being CEO of it and at the heart of it. I was on the exterior of it. So the difference with being CEO is you have to have that sense of responsibility for the people and for the mission. And it is a big responsibility, and I did have to give it thought. So, I mean, when I thought about it, and then I did reflect long and hard on it. And uh, for me to be able to bring the knowledge and experience that I have gathered over the decades that I've been working in the sector and apply it, I hope, even more effectively in the role of the CEO so that the sector on the wheel can benefit to the maximum from that experience. That's what kind of really was driving me. I, I mean, I, I do humbly believe that because of the time I've spent in the sector and the diversity of experiences and training and the relevant education and experience that I had, 
I think there are relatively few people uh, with that kind of very broad perspective and understanding of of the real jewel we have in this sector. Now, there's loads of people out there with understandings much deeper than mine of different aspects of it, but it's that general understanding, I think, that I can bring to it as CEO of The Wheel that I'm hoping uh, will, will be an added value. And so I do have that really deep desire, I'd describe it, to maximise the contribution I can make now as CEO and to support the staff team to develop as the strong sector advocates I believe they can, with everyone encouraged to play their part in the wheels advocacy and storytelling on behalf of members. So that was a driver. Then to benefit from the connections I've made in all the many parts of the sector, that's another piece. Uh, and hopefully weave the wheel even more into supporting the sector everywhere. So I I would really hope that with my leadership, all places and spaces and groups and organisations in the sector will see something for them in the wheel. I want the the wheel really to be just a support that's there for everyone and everyone feels at home in their part of the wheel. And and that would be a a, a big, I think, um, a big measure of success. We're, we're, We're almost there, but there's still a bit of work, I think, to be done on that. And then to support and encourage and nurture even more of the innovation and energy and passion amongst our staff team and to involve the members themselves uh, more in our advocacy and representational work. So they, when I reflect on it, I suppose were the the real reasons why I, I, I went for it. You know, there was an additional and is an additional increase in responsibility. So there is a question as to why. There had to be an answer in that for me. And they, I suppose, ultimately are the, the answers to that. I can see why. And, 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 and you know, I should have said, started out, congratulations in being in then. But we, we, we've, um, yeah, but it is an excellent sort of stage of development for, for, for the wheel uh, and for yourself as a, you know, as, a, as a leader in the sector. You mentioned about leadership in, in, in the sector, but also the governance challenge. How would you like to see that evolving over the next few years in terms of we've, we've gone through, as we said, very fundamental changes, you know, and that has transformed the landscape forever. For, for, for the sector, but how, in the next few years, how would you like to see that evolve? I, I think it's a it's a huge question. You know, we've 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 painted that picture going back twenty five years of where the sector's come from, and that sense of you know increased recognition, the re- demands now being made on trustees in relation to the whole compliance piece, you know, the professionalisation that's happening, and the need to make sure that that isn't. That doesn't occur at the cost of the passion and the the commitment and the the mission-oriented energy. So all of that taken into consideration, for me, I think there should be, and we've kind of touched on some of this earlier, and you've mentioned it yourself, Dermot, a really well-resourced and funded capacity building and skills and training and advice service that's operated by the sector and for the sector and yet at the same time funded really well by the state. Okay, So it's a partnership piece. We have the beginnings of it in The Wheel and Carmichael and groups I've mentioned like Volunteer Ireland and Board Match, but we really need a step change in additional resources now to ensure every person who volunteers as a trustee or a board member or who becomes an employee for that matter has the training and advice and information they need to develop and to meet the high governance standards that are now demanded and rightly expected. And that's become a theme in our conversation. Um, times are changing fast. You know, We have huge digital digitalization opportunities, 
but there's lots of people who are and will fall behind. And I'm looking at, at the likes of ourselves, Dermot, you know, a, it applies to everybody irrespective of, of, of the nature of, of where our backstories are coming from. And people will fall behind and find themselves unable to participate if we don't make training really and genuinely available to everyone who needs it. So lifelong learning for everyone, that I think is a, is a, a, a real you know, part of the leadership and governance of the CV organisation's picture for the future. And we need it led by the great national movement that is our CV sector. Um, so the infrastructure organisations in the sector have begun, as I've indicated, you know, to come together to cooperate and collaborate in providing leadership between the sector and the state. Uh, you know, some, some listeners may have heard of the We Act campaign that attempts to communicate the impact of the sector's uh, work in society. I think we need more of that as well. Uh, we really do need to get the vital contribution that charities and the community and voluntary sector make to life in Ireland today out from under the, the, the bushel and out into the light so people can see the extent to which in their own lives the quality of their lives it really depends on the voluntary effort that's going in at community level in all our communities people will often think oh charities they've got nothing to do with me charities help homeless people you know or charities help people who who, who are hungry in in, in the, you know in, in 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 the non-european world um that's not true charities in ireland are involved in almost every aspect of our life from running schools to running local community centers Uh, to running arts groups, you name it, there are community and voluntary organisations involved in your communities in it, often providing services that you are members of, you know, that we, I should say, are members of our families are benefiting from on a day-to-day basis. So uh, I I think that's what I would say. No, no, I I would concur completely because we started off our conversation about the fantastic work that the sector does and and the vital need for the sector in so many ways. But also that sector needs help and support to do it the right way and, and effectively. And the other thing I would completely agree is that I get energised and I go out and meet the groups. Fantastic. But it's trying to pull teeth to get those stories out there. So we do need to get much better at saying what a wonderful work that they're doing. And of course, they have to be run properly and effectively. And that's regulation is part of that. But the other part of that equation is support and guidance and help. And I think that that needs that needs to be part of that circle of of virtual good governance in in the sector that we do recognize that we do need to provide advice guidance and support and that that costs and compliance costs and we do need to look at that but this is a question i all ask my my my, my guests it's the magic wand question and if you had this lovely magic wand what would be your top three wishes for the sector to be realized in the next five years yeah, so I mean, look, we've covered a lot of ground and there's loads and loads of really important things that the sector needs. But I suppose one of the things we didn't mention was freedom to advocate, Dermot. You know, all community groups really should feel genuinely free to advocate for their purposes, no matter what form their campaigning approach might take. So the promotion of, of human rights, for example, should be recognised as a charitable purpose. And there's a, there's a general sense in parts of the sector that that advocacy function, the vital function that charities do for societies by you know flagging up things that need fixing and then campaigning around it, uh, there's a general sense, a bit of anxiety there now in relation to the extent to which maybe that's welcome uh, by the state and by regulators of different sorts. And maybe a sense that there might be something going on where charities are kind of being told, now look, we, we want you to respond and help people, but we're not so interested in hearing what you have to say about how, how our society might need to change to stop those problems occurring from the first place. 
So freedom to advocate for charities, I think, is a really important one. For organisations that get funding to deliver services, we mentioned the hybrid services that that many organisations are involved in, and there's thousands of them. They should be paid the full cost of the service they deliver by the funder, and that's usually a state agency, and not just part of the cost. So we need to see the full cost provided in grants, and they should get the money on a multi-annual basis. It's not good enough to be given funding halfway through the year that you're actually you know, delivering a service in. That means organisations can't plan at all, so they need to be able to look ahead and make a proper plan. So I'd say three-year multi-annual funding is what uh, state funders should be providing. And then finally, and I've mentioned this earlier again, a general fund to support and encourage people to come together and form and maintain informal community groups at community level. It's over and above the training and infrastructure support we described. It's something beyond that to enable community groups to support active citizenship and participation in community life. They have such programs in Sweden uh, where citizens can go and make an application to get not big funding, but enough funding for them to come together and form a, a kind of a, a you know a citizen initiative in their local community to do something together to learn from each other uh, and to engage uh, locally around issues and i'd love to see uh, something similar developed in ireland so they'd be three three wishes i might have they're fantastic wishes ivan and they're, they're much needed as well and like every society needs to be able to advocate and freedom to advocate is such a fundamental right in society and it's concerning that sometimes that right is being constrained in so many parts of the world and touch of it happening in in our own country unfortunately as well and as you say full cost for the service because again there's a tendency to fund the frontline delivery and forget about all the other parts of the organization that's needed to make that frontline delivery happen so really really good and i like that initiative so the small community initiative so much wonderful things could have could have come from small investments in community initiatives and that does as you say it doesn't have to be big money so that's fantastic so i, I do wish though those things will see the light of day ivan this has been fantastic we, we could spend the rest of the morning talking about the, those issues that are close to both our hearts but thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today thank you David thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you did it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts so until the next time Slán Gofól Gofól